All right. So what I would like to do is is briefly review what we said about the Davidic covenant and then get right into the new covenant. I really believe once we understand the new covenant, we will be much better uh, prepared to understand the book of Revelation. So remember the promises given to David. The Lord will make David a great name. He will plant his people, the Israelites, in a land to be reckoned their own. And he will give them rest from their enemies. The Lord will make a dynasty of David's bloodline. His house, kingdom, and throne will endure before the Lord forever. And if an heir disobeys, the Lord will discipline him, but will not, underscore not, remove his loving kindness from him as he did with Saul. This dynasty will endure. David responds to the Lord's promises with humble recognition that God has promised something supernatural beyond those things that man can do. He has promised and prophesied the future. David recognizes that God is incomparable and Israel is the fortunate people of his favor. David simply asks God to fulfill his promise, his prophecy, quote, and do as you have spoken that your name may be magnified forever. All right, now I want to give you a, a demarcation between history and prophecy. Notice on the left, we have the old covenant in red. In the middle, we have the suffering servant. And on the right, we have the new covenant. Now, watch the progression. On the left, we have the Mosaic covenant. It was ratified with blood. Um, Moses sprinkled blood upon the people in the making of the Mosaic covenant. The blood covered the people. They entered into a covenant relationship with Yahweh God. And uh, we have the history of Israel, and they end up in apostasy. So they go into exile. That's the next uh, movement over, the next column over. They go into exile, and in their exile, what did the Jews do? They became that much more connected and affiliated and strongly felt about the law. So that when Jesus came, they were very legalistic. And that's in the middle. The Messiah comes. He starts the church age. But being rejected as the king, he served as the suffering servant. He provided for the new covenant. Key word. Then we move, after the church age, we move to the tribulation period. The Antichrist will, will be identified, uh, will consolidate the world against God and against Christ and against the Jews, and there will be persecution. Then we move to the next part of prophecy, and that will be the Messiah will return as conqueror. He will usher in and fulfill the new covenant. He will reign over the millennial kingdom, and he will restore the people of Israel to their land and to their proper prominence as God's people around the world. Okay, so that I believe, at least that helps me, I hope it helps you to see these things historically and prophetically. Before I leave this line, comment or a question? Okay, so I raised these questions last week with you. 
Um, we're talking about a new covenant. Well, what's the relationship of it to the old? Um, what was the old covenant? Why did God promise a new covenant? Um, did the old fail? Is there a weakness in the old? How does the new uh, differ from the old? And so forth. Okay, so let's begin with the first question, or the last question on that previous slide. Where is the fault to be placed in the failure of the old covenant? Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to verse uh, 7. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For if, uh, uh, let me go to verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and now he quotes one of the key passages on the New Covenant, which comes out of Jeremiah. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Major passage on the new covenant. So time after time, the Israelites were upbraided by the prophets for disobeying God. Uh, indeed, Jeremiah says in the target passage that the people broke the covenant. Well, they did it a mul multiple times. And remember, we uh, looked at, uh, at the series of renewals that took place for the Mosaic covenant. For goodness sakes, it happened um, just days after entering into the covenant in the first place, you know, with the golden calf incident. And Moses comes back. And um, they go through a renewal uh, of the Mosaic Covenant. Then, then they do it in Deuteronomy. Uh, when the older generation had passed off, 
were buried in the sands of the wilderness, and then the second generation is ready to enter into the promised land. Then Joshua does it at the end of his life. I mean, renewal after renewal after renewal. Hezekiah, Josiah, renewal after renewal. Nehemiah and Ezra, renewal. Okay, so this covenant has some issues, okay? It's not, uh, it's not cutting the mustard in terms of the people are blowing it here. And so when we hear of a new covenant, we want to ask ourselves, well, how is it different? And does it, will it need to be renewed? I hope not. <laughs> how many times will we fail? How many times will the people fail and, and so forth? Okay, so the, the Mosaic Covenant is identified as that old covenant. Is the new covenant new or merely a renewal of the Old Testament? It's not merely a renewal. It will be a new covenant, but it will carry over many of the same uh, uh, elements as the old covenant. The new covenant is a new covenant. Some aspects carry over. It will not be like the covenant which the Lord made with their fathers at Exodus and the Sinai, but it will be made with Judah and Israel. Okay, I'm going to stop there. (coughs) With whom will the new covenant be made? With the north and south gate. Yes. With the church? No. 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 With whom? With Israel. With Israel. With, With the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Okay. I'm so glad we've got that straight. (laughs) With Israel, with the children of Israel, yes. What makes God think we're going to change? It's all in the hermeneutics, remember? Uh, Hermeneutics is the key to understanding the scriptures. And and depending on a person's hermeneutic and uh, way of interpretation, a, a person can derive at various positions prophetically. Okay. Um, yep, go ahead, Sixto. Uh, actually, uh, to uh, Linda's question, I, I don't know if this is a question, but the, what makes us think we're going to change? So in other words, hey, he's still dealing with sinful people. What's, we can see the difference and how he treats these current sinful people as opposed to what he did with the old uh, sinful people. So, uh, in that sense, that this covenant is newer. I guess the point is, um, that's what makes it new, and that's what makes it surprising that we're saying it's still true for uh, Israel and Judah. Yes, so... The fulfillment... Yes, as we work through the specifics of the New Covenant, I think you'll understand how different it is and how successful it will be. And it will not need any renewals. Okay, yes. I have a question. At the risk of jumping too far ahead, once the believer is translated, we, you and I were talking about this mm-hmm. last Sunday, then God does something to our heart so that, I mean, it's like the theologians used to say, Jesus was fully God, he couldn't sin, he was fully man, he could sin. What's the answer? He wouldn't sin. He wouldn't. So what I'm trying to ask is, once the translation occurs, once we are raptured or we've passed through the veil of death and we're in the 
into heaven. What God seems to, I'm asking, seal our hearts so that we wouldn't sin. Is that a correct way to phrase it? Um, yes, and I, I would say both that we wouldn't and that we couldn't. I think once we are glorified, I, you're talking about the glorified state, then I, I believe our uh, struggle with sin is over and the culmination of our salvation has occurred and we no longer deal with the issue of whether I will or whether I want to do evil or not. I, I think that will be passed. And that brings up an interesting point because as Christians, when we come back with Christ, when he comes back to reign, we're going to have immortal people, us, the church, uh, reigning over a mortal kingdom. And people, Jewish people, Gentile people will go into the kingdom period and we Christians will be reigning with Christ and that will be an interesting interplay. And I don't, I don't know that I can say much more about it, but read your Bibles. <laughs> All, the answers are in there. All the answers are in the Bibles, especially the prophets. Yes. Okay. Uh, notice that in the, new, in the New Covenant, and I'm going to make this very, very clear, uh, but just from this slide, the New Covenant will be made with Israel and Judah. It will feature the Mosaic Law written on their hearts and it will feature a nationwide knowing of Yahweh, of the Lord. They will enjoy the forgiveness of their sins, and specifically the sin of rejecting the Messiah that came. And they will be aghast. <coughs> they will be um, in mourning because they will recognize that as a people, as a nation, they missed their Messiah when he came the first time. They'll recognize that, they'll repent, they'll be humble, and God will transform. Can I have yes? one more question about that? I guess that answers my question, because you're saying the new covenant really isn't in place yet. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And I'm going to talk to you about that, about what, just exactly what is the status of the new covenant today? Good. Yes. Okay, so what's the nature of this internalization of the law? So uh, if, you, if you would like, turn to Jeremiah 31 again, and we'll see specifically that it speaks about that there. There are other passages in Ezekiel um, also that deal with this. In fact, there are a number of passages that deal with this internalization of the law. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. On what had the Lord written the Ten Commandments in the Mosaic? On tablets of stone. And and now he's saying I'm going to write it on their hearts. Okay. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he needs to tenderize our hearts, doesn't he? Okay. Um, so, by a special work of God's grace through his Messiah, the Jews of the eschatological age will be transformed and discontinuous in regards to their stiff-necked forefathers. 
The former unregenerate heart of man with its bent toward independence and autonomy will be contravened by the indwelling law of God. People may sin in the new covenant, but they will be corrigible. Sinlessness is not required by statements of the text, rather the concept of eliminating resistance of a contrary will, I think is closer to the point. Matt? You're saying that the church is basically a feature of those covenants? No. The church is being included now. Instead of Christ starting the church and the Jews being a feature of the church in the new covenant. Your last slide there was basically what's happening today is the nations today, the Gentiles, are going to be a feature of that covenant. Just renewed, or not renewed, but new, a new one. And I'm asking, is is it Christ started the church? And that's the age we're in. So mm-hmm. this is the new covenant. Is the old, the Jewish people, are they a feature of us, of the new covenant? Okay, thank you. I, I wasn't following you. Thank you for uh, it going on. The way I understand it, Matt, is that the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant are all implemented and relate and their agreements their treaties with the people of Israel and God between God and the people of Israel I I understand the church age to be a parenthetical age where uh, God is doing something like what he will do in the millennium but yet different from what will happen in the millennium so that the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants takes place in the New Covenant era. And the church will have a role in it, but not hands on the ground kind of, or feet on the ground kind of role. I mean, we will be there, and we will assist, as Christ tells you know the apostles, that you will have 12, tri- uh, 12 thrones, and you will reign with me. Um, but the subjects will not be the raptured church. The subjects will be the people that go into the millennial period and become followers of Christ uh, by will. Well, being the church, you're saying being a parenthetical thing, which is, yes. like I said, that's a new construct, only about 200 years old. The <laughs> no, thing is, is Romans 10, we were grafted in. Yeah. Go ahead. But the dispensational. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's only been around since 1830. The thing is, the church is the bride of Christ. That's an eternal relationship. Mm-hmm. So yes. Thing. Right. And like Israel is is portrayed as the wife of the Lord, so the church is portrayed as the wife of Christ. And there are parallels, but I think there are distinctions as well. But let me go forward, and you'll you'll see what I'm trying to. Sixto, another thought. Well, that. Uh, use of the term parenthetical, I take that to mean that he still, a long ago I learned, he still owes the, the Old Testament that, that that throne and that Christ will reign, and that hence the millennium, hence he's going to fulfill that. And yes. So, so what I mean to say when I when I'm referring to the church age as parenthetical, 
we are not prophesied, okay? We were not predicted, okay? This church age was not predicted, okay? So what the prophets have predicted were the falling away and the restoration of Israel. They predicted the tribulation. Um, they predicted the Antichrist. You know, the prophets predicted all of those end time things except the church. You know, we are not in the prophecy, okay? So what God is doing now is something parenthetical, okay? But he will come back and complete his program with Israel, okay? And the new covenant will be the culmination of that. Okay, so what's the driving force in the new covenant? The five I wills of the passage. And I tried to emphasize that as I was reading through that. Notice how often the Lord says, I will. God comes back and he says, uh, I'm going to do something like the old covenant, but I'm going to make sure it succeeds this time. In the old covenant, the people's will, um, though regenerate, was not as corrigible as it could have been as teachable as it could have been, correctable. I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them. On their heart, I'll write it. I will be their God. I will forgive their sin. The Lord is making several statements here. Compare the I wills in Zephaniah chapter 3. So Zephaniah is all about the day of the Lord. This uh, minor prophet, he says, I will give to the people's purified lips. I will remove you from the mit, from your I will remove from your midst your proud exulting ones. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. Are we grieving today about the things going on in our world? You bet we are, and we need to continue to grieve. Um, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. In other words, all of the, the strong, powerful people that are oppressing the weaker, vulnerable people. I will bring you in. I will gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. So we've got passages from the prophets that help us understand God will be doing this. And I know uh, there are questions in terms of, well, Israel's back in the land. And obviously everything that happens under you know, on earth is under the superintendence of God. Is, is their being back in the land this? I don't think it's this. Because we're not seeing everything that God says will happen th at, at this time. This could... You know, Israel being back in the land uh, could be a precursor to the end times and a stepping stone, a provision uh, for it. But it's not this, as you can see. We have passages in the Jewish scriptures that refer to the new covenant. We have passages in the Greek Christian scriptures that refer to the new covenant. We read one of those from Hebrews. So let's look at the promises. These are the promises of the new covenant. The Lord will eliminate sin in Israel. Apostate, obstinate Israel. The Lord will deal with sinning Israel. He will bring others, Judah and Israel, back to the land of promise as one nation. 
He will plant them on their land and he will shepherd them with care, protecting and providing them. So when when the Lord Jesus comes back, there will be both judgment and deliverance. Read the prophets. Okay, read the prophets. They will no longer defile themselves with idols and detestable things or transgressions. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness, walking in Yahweh's ordinances and statutes. They will mourn over their past apostasy and over the Messiah whom they pierced. Read the prophets. Read them. Let them, let them tell you what's going to happen here in the future. The Lord will forgive their iniquity and remember it no more. He will provide a cleansing fountain. The Lord will put his law within and write it on the hearts of Israel and Judah. He will give them one heart, a new spirit. They will fear Yahweh always. The Lord will be their God and they will be his people, one people. Israel and Judah together, one people. They will all know the Lord from the least to the greatest of them. Uh, Are you getting the impression that this is going to be the epitome of world ages? I think it will. We just don't know when. We don't know when. But this this will be an age unlike any other age that that, uh, the world has seen. The Lord will raise up for David a righteous branch who will reign wisely and bring security to Israel. He will restore their fortunes and rebuild the nation to its former prominence. Look at the passages, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos. Yahweh will multiply Israel and Judah, man and beast. Israel's offspring will not cease to be a nation before the Lord forever. Yahweh will set his sanctuary in their midst and they will serve him and David their king who will not lack a descendant on his throne. The Levitical priest will not lack men to conduct sacrificial worship. Yahweh will establish an everlasting covenant with them. I've I've been reading Ezekiel in my morning quiet time with the Lord and you've got that those uh, nine chapters at the end of Ezekiel 40 through 48 about a temple and sacrificial um, uh, system and the prince offering sacrifices and having his own entrance into the temple area and exit and the people coming in and out and people coming in from the north and go out the south and people coming in from the south go out the north. It, it, and it's very, very detailed. And the prophet tells us he's giving us the details to make certain that we'll no longer sin against the Lord. That's, that's what Ezekiel is telling us. I believe he's talking about the millennial kingdom and the temple in the millennial kingdom. So, you know, we enjoy worship without blood, you know, uh, uh, splattering on our nice clothes. But it's coming back. It will come back in the millennial kingdom. Not to forgive sins, I believe, but more as a memorial 
to the one sacrifice that does forgive sins, the sacrifice of Messiah, the suffering servant. It's, it's going to be the fulfillment of everything that God has given to us from Genesis on. So it's, it's, it's like the heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh. Yes, yes. And it's like the, the rule of the new covenant is the conscience of the heart. Yes. He's stimulating the conscience here now rather than law. Thank you. Yes, exactly. And But working within the law in a right way, responding right. spiritually, obediently, willfully to the law in such a way that I don't, need, I don't think about doing the wrong thing. I know the law. I want... Okay, so, so when we're saved, First uh, John talks about our... Uh, uh, how, how does he put it? Um, oh, what is it? it? It's obedience with, uh, without any, not, not constraint, without compulsion. It, it's a willingness to obey that is, it, it's, it's freedom. Out of it, gratitude. Yeah, out of gratitude. The desire to obey. Yes, the, the whole desire is there. So that the person's um, issue with sin is, eliminated because the the law is on the heart and the soul is redeemed and the person's just interacting on that level. Okay. Great question. Did I understand you to say that they're going to have the animal sacrifice again? Yes. The yes. Doesn't that go in the face of God, one and done? I mean, Jesus, he, he was the sacrifice once for all. Yes, and Hebrews tells us that. That, <laughs> that his well, I think I think one of the reasons is to memorialize that God uh, God's wrath is expiated by blood sacrifice, and um, he started there, and I think I think he will return there. Yes, okay. For the Jewish people, it would be a different mindset than it would be for the Gentile people. Is that not part of the reason why they bring it back? I think it is part of the reason. Um, yes? But to carry it a step mm-hmm. further then, if they're going to renew the sacrifice of animals, why don't they go to the Feast of Leavened Bread and all the They will. Food? They will. So. The feasts will come back. Uh, specifically Passover and the Feast of Booths will come back. And, and they will be observing those things. Because, <laughs> okay, so, uh, did, was somebody going to say something? Yes, okay. I, I was, is it not like us doing the Lord's Supper to them? Well, the Lord's Supper came out of the Passover. I know. Yes. We do the Lord's Supper, but is that not it, Yes, yes. Correlate? It could be a, the, a similar correlation, yes, mm-hmm. to that. Okay, let me go one more slide here. Yahweh will arise. He'll be exalted and lifted up. He will be the stability of their times. Read Isaiah 33. He will be their judge and their savior. Yahweh will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Thereby, the Lord will vindicate his name among the nations. The nations will then know the Lord who sanctifies Israel. They will fear and tremble before Yahweh because of his mercy, peace, and prosperity that he gives to Israel and to Judah. 
Okay, so this will be not only a great day for humanity, this will be the great day of the Lord. Okay, let's stop there.